All right, everyone, part two of the theology pit where we're looking at Romans and we're we're kind of going through it and getting the apocalyptic understanding and the very heavily Jewish Gentile makeup of the Roman church. You fall into the theology pit. Theology pit. You fall in the theology pit. Not only are we so distorted that we didn't just worship creation, but we worship the creation of our creation. Then we worshiped ourselves, basically. And we worship what what is what is the you know the, the most visible way of showing that we won't worship God who is other, who is something other than ourselves. And we just want to worship ourselves. But you know, engaging in deep, intimate, relational uh, aspects with a person of the same sex. Not even in the natural way that God created. You know, it's it's like the ultimate in the visible manifestation of the effect of the fall. To look to the same rather than to look to the other. You know, heterosexual means, you know, other sexual, hetero meaning other or opposite. Uh, homo meaning same, and so you're you're getting to Paul's the heart of what Paul is saying here. We're ultimately getting to the point where even even the 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 homo, you know, the the sameness of relationship isn't right. And you and you really could get to you know an, an an asexual understanding in that sense because it's more about relationship than than sex to be honest, and now you distance yourself from other people, and it's just all about you. And so, when you do that, you know there there are going to be natural penalties. Things are going to happen. Like there are going to be problems uh, within you know homosexual. Uh, lifestyles, um, just as there would be in any other uh, distorted sexual lifestyle that does not line up with the original creation. And this goes uh, for, and Paul's using this as an example of how far we've fallen in different areas. You know, it's not like this is the pinnacle of, you know, the worst sin. The pinnacle of the worst sin is us worshiping ourselves. We'll see. Like he eventually gets, I mean, as bad as this is sounding right now, as bad as I'm, I'm, I'm making the sound, you may be thinking, my goodness, you're such a homophobe. Like what's going on? How can you say like, this is the worst thing that is, you know, possible that, that, that you could possibly be saying. And if you, if you're thinking that way, good, because it's going to get worse before it gets better here. It's going to continue on because Paul's saying that, you know, things are supposed to be in a natural order. And the reason why it went wrong is because we stopped worshiping God. We stopped looking to God. It's because of the fall that all this happened for Jew and Gentile alike. So Romans one twenty eight goes on and says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do what not, what should not be done. Okay. And so what's the things that shouldn't be done? Like, I mean, you're coming off the heels of this and you're probably thinking like the sexual things and that's not it. Cause that, that's not the point. 
Yeah, the, the, the point is going against the, the natural creation. Like we just kept going down this road to where this was, you know, this was it. But what in I mean, verse twenty nine answers the 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 implicit question here in verse twenty eight. You know, God gave him over to depraved mind to do what should not be done. Well, what shouldn't be done? Well, here's what shouldn't be done: every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, covetedness, malice. They're rife with envy, murder strife, deceit, hostility. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, contrivers of all sorts of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, covenant breakers, heartless, ruthless. There's nothing in there about sexuality. Nothing at all. Paul's just using that as an illustration of how much we have turned away from God and the the progression that it took for us to become so self-centered. And these things are all self-centered accusations that Paul's making. So Paul goes through all these and then verse 32 he says, although they fully know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but also approve of those who practice them. Verse 32 just brought the Jew and the Gentile together. Although they fully knew, know God's righteous decree. What are What is God's righteous decree? It's the Torah. It's the law. It's the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They knew the law. Jews knew the law. You fully knew the law. And yet, you were still unrighteous and wicked and coveted, you know, covetous, coveting things. You know, your covenant breakers, they're called. The covenant was with the Jews. The Jews are the ones that are breaking the covenant. And, and, and how does he continue on? Although they fully know God, God's righteous decrees that those who practice these things deserve to die, not only didn't they do them, they didn't even care about it. But they also approved of those who practiced them. Who are the people that are practicing them? Well, both Jew and Gentile alike. Now, it's very possible that while this was being read out loud, because people don't, you know, read the way that we read now, it's um, you know, very recent thing, probably in the last um, you know, a couple hundred years, I would guess. Um, maybe, maybe a little more than that. That um people read excuse me. Yeah, people read quietly and read to themselves quietly. And so this would have been read out loud, especially at this time period. It would have, you know, um, it would have gone out to the churches in Rome, probably more than one, you know, but, it, but there may have just been one. But I, 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 you know, I doubt that, you know, without the, um, you know, you, you didn't have a synagogue. No, nobody's, you know, wanting to keep stuff around like those sort of things that Paul just wrote one letter and let it go. Um, yeah, there, there are probably, you know, multiple copies, um, that went to multiple churches and it happened in, in, in Galatia. Galatia is so big that, you know, and it was to the churches plural. So I don't see why that, you know, that would have been so isolated, you know, but this is to the church in Rome. And when you're, 
when you're trying to keep a body unified, you don't refer to them separately. You know, you refer to them collectively. And so they would be referred to as a single church to remind them of who they are in the body of Christ. And, you know, um, I, I think that that's what Paul is, is getting at. So this whole first chapter runs us through it, but it ends with the Jew and Gentile sinfulness, but very, very, very heavily, heavily on the side of the Gentile with a lot of Jewishness to it. I guess that would be the big thing to say. And how does he start out verse two or chapter two? Because you can hear, you can hear the Jewish people at this point cheering, cheering for him. Yeah, that's right, Paul. You tell these Gentiles, you know, these ones that practice all this stuff. We're not like that. I'm not a covenant breaker. I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm a descendant of Abraham, an Israelite. There's no way. And I and I care about people. You know? I'm not arrogant or boastful. I don't hate God. I love God. That's why I'm following him. That's why I tell people. And Paul gives everyone a whiplash in chapter 2 here. He says, Therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are, whoever I'm talking to you, to, Jew or Gentile, you're without excuse when you judge someone else. Now, why is that so bad? Because if you follow the progression that Paul has been leading here, and you could almost you could almost argue that verse one should probably be tacked on to the end of chapter one. Like Romans, you know, two, um, maybe it should start with with verse two. Um, or, you know, in, in the middle of, of, you know, verse one is, is cut off because you judge someone else. You're without excuse. Why? For on whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself because you who judge practice the same things. Whoever you are, Jew or, or Gentile. You're practicing the same things. How is that possible? How is it possible I'm a hater of God if I'm judging them based on what God says? Well, the reason why is because you're putting yourself in the place of God. You've now moved the progression from, you know, loving God to ignoring God to worshiping his creation, to worshiping a creation of his creation, to worshiping the creation of your own hands, to then, you know, worshiping people to then worshiping only things, you know, other people that look like you that are of the same sex, to only worshiping yourself, to only loving yourself, and it's all about you. And then it's so about you, you turn in on yourself so badly that now you think that you sit in the place where you are able to judge other people. You sit on the throne of God. This is why it's worse. You're condemning yourself. Because you're saying, I'm God. Verse 2 in chapter 2 says, Now, we know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth against those who practice such things. 
And do you think whoever you are, when you judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you have contempt for the wealth of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, yet do not know that God's kindness leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will reward each one according to his works. And that says a, a lot in um, you know, in, in the Psalms, and there's a, a very close uh, approximation of, of, of this phrase in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. Eternal life to those who by perseverance in good works seek glory and honor and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who live in selfish ambition and do not obey the truth but follow unrighteousness. And this is what Paul is is saying. You, you have wrath and anger against other people because you live in selfish ambition to actually put yourself in the place of a judge, in the place of God. Verse 9 Continuing says there will be no there will be affliction and distress on everyone who does evil. On the Jew first and also the Greek. Boy, how often do you hear that, right? How often do you hear that? No, we always hear, oh no, there's you know, the message of Christ, the goodness, the salvation. That that salvation message goes to the Jew first and also the Greek. And here Paul is saying, because you Jews should have known better. God chose you as a nation, as an ethnic people. And that's kind of redundant. The word ethnos in Greek is, is the word for people or nation. So we talk about ethnic people, we're, you know, it's, it's redundant. Um, but, but Paul's saying this affliction of distress for people who, who, who do evil yeah, you you Jews were first because you should have known better. And also the Greeks. Like, they don't get out of this. But, verse 10, glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for the Jew first, and also the Greek. There is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So it doesn't matter what you know or don't know when you have sinned. The Theology Pit is a partner-funded ministry. Please consider partnering with us by making a donation at thetheologypit.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page, hit the donate button, and make a contribution to the best Theology Pit podcast on the internet. Now let's get back to the show. Everybody's guilty. You're all in the same boat. Paul is bringing them together. He's bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together to say, you guys are all in the same boat. Verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous before God, but those who do the law will be declared righteous. Well, who can do the law? Nobody. 
It's impossible. You can know it. You can even know it instinctively in your heart and you still won't do everything by it. Verse 14 says, whenever the Gentiles who do not know the law, but by nature, the things required by the law, do these things, those who do not have the law are a law unto themselves. And how is that possible? How is it possible that the Gentiles have this law, that they do, that the law that they have in their hearts is the same law that, um, that, that Paul's talking about here that's for the Jews? And the answer to that is in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the apocalyptic understanding that Jesus Christ, through his redemption and his his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his, his birth, his life, his incarnation, everything about it, that moment in time for us is an eternal reality in the grand scheme of things. Past, present, and future, which meant that the effects of the atonement will be echoed through the Old Testament. This is why you read the Old Testament Christologically. This is why Paul is looking back through it and saying, yeah, you guys knew because you were physically given a law. They knew because of Christ, a new law would be written on their hearts. Like they would know totally written on their hearts. I mean, where, where have we, you know, heard that before? Isn't that, um, Jeremiah, is it Jeremiah 31, 31, that I will, uh, remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. The law is written on their hearts. That's a reality. This is the apocalyptic understanding. And so, Verse 15, they show that the work of the law is written in their hearts as their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or else defend them. On the day God will judge the secret of human hearts according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. And that wraps it up. That shows that it is through Jesus Christ that these things are written on people's hearts for all time. They always have. This is why there there are moral absolutes. Even within our sinfulness, people are not animals. They're not depraved to the point where they are just complete, unrecognizable animals. But here we are because of the Christ event. We're able to look back through history, through the Old Testament, and understand this Christologically. I mean, there are Gentile Yahweh worshipers in the Old Testament. There are other nations that would come and worship with Israel. They would bring their sacrifices. This is through the Old Testament. This this happens. How is that possible? They're not the chosen people. But yet it's a reality. Paul's saying it's a reality because it is through Jesus Christ. This is the understanding that you have when when it's um, 
the word I'm looking for. See, I messed up when I was talking to Michael and I said, I said post-conversion and that's not it. I mean, it's post-conversion for you to be able to see it, but it is um, co- post-convergence. Okay. After the convergence of Jesus Christ, God himself entering time and space and redeeming the world, redeeming the universe, redeeming time and space itself, that converging of the divine into our world shows what has always been. That's the apocalyptic understanding. That is why when Paul understood this, he could look back and he could say, the only way any of this ever makes sense is because of Jesus Christ and what he did. The only reason why Israel received the law is because of Jesus Christ. The gospel, according to my gospel, through Jesus Christ, or on my gospel, could be translated also. Verse 17 reads, but if you call yourself a Jew and and rely on the law and boast of your relationship with God and know his will and approve the superior things because you received instruction from the law, and if you are convinced that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an educator of the senseless, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the essential features of knowledge and the truth. Therefore, you who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who tell others not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by transgressing the law. For just as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul's writing directly to to, to the Jewish Christians in Rome right now. I don't understand how anybody can read this and not and not see that. It's 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 always very shocking to me when people think that it's just generically to the church and they think of the church as it is today here. And then he gets on to uh, uh, another subject that's come up before. Verse 25, for circumcision has its value if you practice the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised man obeys the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Right? It's it's like, okay, you, you, you've been circumcised and you can't be circumcised again. Just like, you know, Christ died, he can't die again. He can't die for your sins again. He died once. That's it. And so, if you, who are circumcised, break the law, well, it's like you're uncircumcised. You're you're just like an uncircumcised person. And you can't be recircumcised again. But, if there's an uncircumcised man, and he obeys the requirements of the law... His uncircumcision is actually circumcision. And the physically uncircumcised man, verse 27, by keeping the law, 
will judge you to be the transgressor of the law, even though you have the letter and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision something that is outward in the flesh. But someone is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit and not by the letter. This person's praise is not from people, but from God. If you're circumcised, you're going to get the praise of people. If you're not, you won't in this culture, in this time. Speaking directly to to the Jewish people here. And he's bringing this up too, because he's getting ready in the next couple chapters to really um, hit on uh, Abraham and, and to use Abraham as an illustration that, you know, he was, he was called out. Promises were, were made, you know, to him before he was circumcised. He was declared righteous. But what's interesting, what's real, real interesting is later on in the letter, it's not through Abraham that you're regarded as, as the being someone who's blessed. It's through Isaac. Because Isaac is the child of the promise. And just it is not through Abraham, it is through Christ. Christ is the child of the promise. And Galatians chapter 4 really goes into the fact that Isaac was not brought about by by human will or man's desire or anything like he was a child of the promise and that's how it's to be understood there is a very tight connection there that no matter what Abraham and Sarah did they did not have children god had to come in and intercede and then they became pregnant with Isaac he is the child of the promise Mary and Joseph didn't do anything. And Christ is the child of the promise. This is the, this is the strong parallel, the strong point that, that Paul's going to be making here. So this apocalyptic understanding is, you know, telling us to read the Old Testament Christologically. Paul just spent two chapters that we just went through in, you know, in this, uh, these two episodes. And in these two episodes, we see that the the way that we should be reading our Bibles is from a historical Jewish perspective and reading it Christologically as a Messianic Jew. That's the, that's the way that Paul is looking at it. That's the way that he's understanding it. I, I said in the podcast with Michael... Um, you know that we don't do. I, I I don't think that it's out yet. I think it's one of the one of the newer episodes. We were, we were, we spent a couple nights recording. Um, we we got six episodes worth out of the, out of the other night. And I said to him, I said, you know, a lot of times we say we're going to do a historical, grammatical, literary hermeneutic. You know, historical meaning we 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 look back at you know what testament it's in, what, what book it's in, what, you know, what, what letter, what pericope, like every, you know, we look at all that. We get the, the, what did it mean then the history of it? And then we, you know, say, well, what's the timeless principle? We compare it to other scriptures. We compare it to reason. We compare it to our doctrines. We compare, you know, and we extract the timeless principle out of it. And that's what we apply. You know, we look at the type of literature. We look at the, the grammar of it. 
But the problem is, and I, I pointed this out, I said, we don't do that. We, we do a, a, a reformation grammatical hermeneutic, may even put literary in there, but usually not. We go back, what, what do the reformers say? What does our church say? What do our commentaries say? I mean, Michael uh, accused me of diverging from the majority of um, uh, you know, scholars in understanding Romans this way. Which is weird because in seminary, this was not for me. This was not it. I, I Maybe I diverged from um, evangelical, the evangelical understanding. You know, I, I diverged maybe from even a reformed understanding. Um, you know, the reformers were not very kind to the Jewish people of the time. And so when I'm getting back to this and I'm looking at this saying, hey, this is heavily Jewish here. We need to pay attention to that. And because it's heavily Jewish in that understanding, we can't take that, um, you know, Western cultural, wooden, literal understanding of Romans 1 and 2 that we have always had and then come up with doctrines and, and things about them, you know? When we talk about, you know, well, all atheists have the ability to know that God exists because they can look up into the sky. No, doesn't seem to be what it's saying. Same thing with our understanding of homosexuality. There's two schools of thought with it on what it means for, for the word natural. The inclination is in the way that God created. The, the, the you know, the reason for it. The, the purpose. The, teleo- the teleological understanding. The, the end purpose. But That's it. So I think I'm going to finish this up here. It gives me a, a couple minutes to do some bumper stuff probably went over though so if this goes over a little bit and it does but hey i want to thank you for listening to the theology pit you know uh please uh check out the website check out divergent theology that's it's a lot of fun we're probably going to do some live stream stuff with it and everything and i i hope that you enjoy this i hope to be able to get some um uh interviews going pretty soon so we can do the stuff on denominations that'll be great thank you for listening to the theology pit Please take a moment to rate our podcast and leave a comment about what you like or what you don't like. Each rating and comment helps others discover this show. Don't forget to visit us at thetheologypit.com to make a donation. While on the website, we would appreciate it if you would share these podcasts with your friends and family on social media. Our Facebook page is also titled The Theology Pit. Stop over and give us a like. If you have any questions or topics you would like to hear discussed on the podcast, please write to samson at thetheologypit.com. That's samson, spelled S-A-M-S-O-N, at thetheologypit.com. Now, here's a preview of next week's show. So, on the next Theology Pit, I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about yet. Um, you know, this will this will be a couple episodes here, and we're going to see what happens. But it may be on uh, tribalism. It may be on... Um, you know, racism and maybe on stuff like that. Just don't know. You're going to have to tune in and see. So now it is definitely time to close down the pit. Thank you. This and more on the next Theology Pit.